Hi, and welcome to the podcast ministry of New Life Church in Springfield, Ohio. We hope that the transformative truths of God's Word impact, challenge, and bless you. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 1. Give you a little while you're turning there. I do hear some pages turning. While you're turning there, I'll kind of just let you know um, the backstory, because not everybody, you know, was raised, you know, in, in church and, had, and you came through Sunday school and understands what's going on in the context of the story. So uh, Nehemiah is a uh, he is a a cupbearer, a counselor, you know, somebody who is in the royal court of the king, who is not, you know, not one of the good guys. And Jerusalem has fallen; the entire nation has fallen and has fallen in disrepair. Um, they, they, the enemy has come in and destroyed the the gates, destroyed the city, destroyed, you know, desecrated the temple, the entirety of God's people, you know, as an institution, as a nation, lies in ruins. And as Nehemiah begins to become aware of this as a man of God, even though he's in a foreign place, in a foreign kingdom, it begins to break his heart and he begin, it begins to show. Whenever, uh, whenever God begins to really deal with us, that will begin to show, it will begin to manifest. And so in, the, in this passage where Nehemiah uh, is so bothered, the king says, what is wrong with you? He can actually tell. You see, and that's the thing. Whenever a man of God or woman of God is out of sync, um, everybody will know. Everybody can tell that, right? So the king says, what's going on? He says, um, you know, he tells him the problem, you know, my, my, my homeland, you know, it lies in ruins and everything's been desecrated and destroyed. And so he secures permission through the favor of God to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. He says, I, I, I need, you know, well, let's, just, let's just read the word. I guess that'd be easier. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king, and now I had been sad, never before had I been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, why is your face sad since you're not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies in waste? So I prayed to the God of heaven and said to the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send to me Judah to the city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, How long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates and of the citadel which pertains to the temple for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. How many of you felt the hand of God on you? Amen. Praise God. We're going to skip down to Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 1. We're going to go to verse 6. There are some names in here. Uh, we, got, we got two, at least two expecting mothers here, so pay attention. These are some good names for these future babies that, you know, that they're going to be coming to this church. There's some real some bangers in here, so we want you to make sure you make a note, okay? We, we could use a little Eliashib. Whew. We'll get into him. Then, the high, then Eliashib, the high priest, rose with his brethren, the priest, and built the sheep gate. Somebody say sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built it as far as the tower of the hundred and consecrated it. Then as far as the tower of Hananel, next to Eliashib, the man of Jericho, built. And, to him, and next to him, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. 
And also the sons of Hasenanah built the fish gate, and they laid its beams and hung its doors with bolts and bars. Somebody say bolts and bars. That's important. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Koz, made repairs. Next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshizabel, made repairs. And Zadok, the son of Baana, made repairs. Next to them, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders into the work of the Lord. Mm. Moreover, Jehoiada, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Besodiah, repaired the old gate, and they laid its beams and hung its doors with bolts and bars. Amen. We got through that pretty good, didn't we, all them names? Praise God. So now it should be smooth sailing from here. I want you to bow your head and just reach your hand forward. Pray that God's word will go forth in power and anointing, that he will change us, that he will challenge us, that the word will go forward, because that's what it's going to take. It's going to take uh, the word of God. It's not, uh, it's not a TED talk that's going to make a difference in our lives, in our world. It is going to be the anointing which destroys the yoke. It's going to be the word that challenges, that redirects us. And we pray in Jesus' name, God, have your way. Speak to your people and give us ears to hear, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Nehemiah was burdened by the state of brokenness and destruction that the enemy had brought to Jerusalem. And he knew some things. Like he, when he, he, he didn't go and build, you know, and build you know, the, the, this citadel or like you know, some of the, he didn't build a smith first. He didn't build you know, this kind of district you know, for housing first. He knew that there had to be a line of demarcation before anything else was going to go forward. There had to be a lawn, line drawn in the sand. There had to be a wall built. Before you can do anything inside the wall, and the reason why is the enemy was going to continue uh, to come across and come into the city and plunder and destroy. He knew that, number one, you've got to have some walls up or else the enemy is going to come forward and destroy. You've got to have walls up in your own lives. Amen? Something that separates what's yours from what is the enemy. Honestly, God, is, God, God demands that in our life. There's got to be some demarcation lines in the way that we live and the way that the world tells us to live. It's just absolutely true. There has to be a line of demarcation between what is God's and what is the enemy's. There always has been. There always will be. Then it needs to be pretty clear. Amen? We need to live in such a way where we're like, okay, yeah, I, I see it, I understand it, I comprehend that there's a difference between what is set aside and consecrated unto God and that which is uh, you know, free for all. The stuff that can move around with culture, with fashion, with whatever it is, with preference, with objectivity, with all that, but, but then there is this, which is God's. It needs to be clearly marked. That's what the prophet understood. That's what the man of God understood. We've we got to have a wall. Until you have a wall, you don't have a country. Until, until, and it's got to be enforced. It ha there has to be a, a line of demarcation, a border. And if you cannot enforce that, then there's no, there, there's no difference between what's the enemy's and what's God's. If you can't enforce that, there's no difference between what, what, is, what is here and what is there. It, it's, all, it's all the same. He understood this. What separates you from the world? Amen. Because there's a, lot, there's a lot of things in the Word of God that he would, uh, that, that, that if we incline our ear, we incline our, you know, ourselves to, and begin to, that goes up, be, there, there will be a brick by brick, stone by stone, there will become a wall that goes up between the things that I do and the things that I will not do because I desire to live a life of holiness unto the Lord. Amen? Without walls in place, the enemy is free to come in and plunder your life, your home, your family, your ministry, your calling, your purpose, without those things, the, the enemy has free reign. So we have got to build a godly wall. Amen? But you've got to be careful about walls. Like I said, I was talking to that one person, and I said, you know, build those walls. 
But don't forget the gates. Don't forget to put the gates in. In September of 52 B.C., this is roughly 20-ish years after uh, the uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So this is kind of, now you kind of know where to put it in history. Um, a, a, a war took place, and then a final battle in a war took place, and it was in what's now kind of southeastern France, and uh, then it would have been called Gaul. There was a, the combatants were a, uh, you know, a, a barbarian king named Vercingetorix, and then a young upstart general uh, named Gaius Julius, who would later on become known to history as Julius Caesar. Anyone ever heard this name, whether it's you know, Shakespeare or whatever else? Um, you know Julius Caesar. So this is the time period. This is the battle. This is what made him, kind of made him rich enough to pay off his own debts and then go and get stabbed in the back by you know, all the guys in Rome. So <clears throat> trying so hard. It's hard for me to stay in the zone whenever I get into history. Um, what happened in this battle uh, is the Romans, you know, with their legions, you know, and their, you know, their cavalry and the, you know, all the power that they could bring to bear the power of Rome, they, they were fighting against this rebel leader and all of his, you know, 100,000 soldiers. And it's happening, you know, kind of in the forest, you know, and this, these huge battles are kind of happening back and forth. And then winter comes and Vercingetorix, the, the barbarian king, decides, I'm going to go home. Because it's not time to fight. You know, nobody fights in the winter, and we'll pick it up where we left off in the spring. So he takes his army and marches all the way back uh, to what you know, was called then Elysia, which is his you know, city, his stronghold. And one day, you know, because that's how it used to be. You know, whenever it was wintertime, you didn't march in the winter. You just you came home, everybody rested up, and then in the spring you might resume the fighting. But one day he looked out over the walls, and this is absolutely true according to history. Um, he looked over the walls and saw that the Romans had showed up. Very inconveniently. Now, they weren't going to try and breach the walls. The walls were too big, too thick, too strong, too well manned. And a couple days later, he looked out and he realized that they were in. What is going on? Why has he done this? A couple days later, he looked out and he realized that they were encircling. They were building a second wall around the first wall. And he began to build a wall all the way around, miles and miles and miles, 10 miles of wall the Romans dug. And they just, they built a city around the city. And all of a sudden, the barbarian king's heart began to sink, I'm sure, as he looked out and said, oh, wow, this really escalated quickly. There's no gates. There's no weak place. There's no place to attack. This wall has been created for our destruction. And so even though the Romans weren't strong enough to penetrate and to conquer the city, this wall was uh, being encircled. There was no way to get food in or out. There was no way to, you know, to get fresh supplies or fresh troops. You couldn't receive anything. And, so, and it was a double wall. It was on this side and on the outside. So the Romans were looking forward and out. And all of a sudden... Uh, Supplies began to run very, very short. It was a siege, and halfway through winter, everybody is starving to death, and it was a horrible, horrible situation because there's tens of thousands of people in this city. They're heartbreaking what began to happen. They realized, you know, if, if we don't have reinforcements, we're, we're all going to die here. We're going to starve to death, and then the Romans are just going to kick the doors in, and we won't be able to stop them. It was a horrible situation. The last-ditch thing, you know what they did? They sacrificed their families, the women and children, and pushed them right outside of their gates into the you know, no-man's land between the walls, hoping and pleading and you know, on a prayer that the Romans would be, you know, magnanimous. They would be kind, that they would take them in or at least make them slaves. They underestimated the type of enemy that they were facing. And you know what happened next. Now, all the families put to the sword. And then finally, he kicked in the door as, you know, this, 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 these starving people, they finally realized the danger of Walls without gates. Now, I've got a serious word for you here today. 
Whenever you build walls that keep everybody else out and keep other things out, whether or not it's for a good reason or not, if you don't have gates, you're going to starve to death. You're going to die. You're not going to be able to live spiritually uh, for very long because what we learn in the passage of Nehemiah chapter 2 and chapter 3, both of these combined passages, is it's fine to have walls to protect yourself, but if you don't have gates, you will starve to death. You will separate yourself from the good things of life, from the calling that God has given you, from the very presence of God. Whenever you build walls without gates, it never ends well. I know that's quite a downer of a story. But whenever you build walls without gates, starvation, separation, and isolation is the only thing that can follow. It's the only thing that can follow. We build walls, my friend. Reading of the devastation of the city of Jerusalem, it's understandable that walls were a first priority. I get it. I get it. Absolutely. I mean, if we, without the walls, you have the enemy coming in and taking what's yours. I just preached, you know, for, for about five and a half minutes about how important it is to have a line of demarcation, how important it is to have a wall up, to, how important that you've, you've got to or else people are going to run all over you or the enemy's going to destroy you. You, you. you do have to have that. I understand why it was a first priority. And whenever we've been hurt by people, somebody say people. We build walls to protect ourselves from ever letting that happen again. I understand. That is the natural reaction. We begin to project the things that, that other people have done you know, to us in our lives onto other people who are innocent of the charge. And next thing you know, we're propagating that very uh, thing that happened to happen again. And we're carrying that, that disease with us because now we're looking at everybody and we just assume that they're going to act this way. And so that begins to manifest. Uh, that, that can poison. Get married you know, to, to the spouse. Have you ever brought, I, you know, I don't know, if you, you know whether you were dating or where you're going into getting ready to get married, you know, to, to the spouse that God had for you, and, and it was tempting to bring in uh, things from your past or maybe from a different, uh, you know, s- scenario and then start to project those things onto the current situation. It's very, da- nothing is more dangerous in relationships than whenever you blame somebody for uh, something that they didn't do and you bring that along with you. It's called baggage, Right? And that can happen in a lot of different ways, a lot of different ways. You know, it, you know, it happen, you know, if you come home and then you yell at the dog because you had a bad day at work. These things, you know, it can manifest in so many different ways. You, it starts to color the things that you see in other people because you've been done wrong in one area. Now you're not going to trust anybody. So the next thing you know, you're the one manifesting the problem. Amen? People. When we've been hurt by people, we build walls to protect ourselves from ever letting that happen again. Some people have been hurt in church or by church people. But let me be very clear. They can wrongly think that God has hurt them. Because God has not. God is good. God is just. God is true. And any time uh, that, anytime, pretty much any time that there is a problem in church, and you can't say this about every religion. This is what I love about Christianity. You know, reason 674, I think we're on now. This is what I love about Christianity, is that whenever it's done right, it never hurts people. Now, you can't always have, like, I had a, I had a nice little debate uh, with somebody on another, one of the other major world religions, and I said, no, if you practice that right, you will be an extremist. He said, no, you won't. And I said, I know the Quran better than you do. Oh. Well, no, whatever. I said, I, I, know, I know what you know, Surah 37 says. I know that that you know that if you're if you're actually practicing what what is preached and what you're supposed to be doing, um, you're going to go among the heathen. You're going to you know displace them of their goods, and you're you're going to kill them. You know, that that that's what 
that says. And so when Christianity, though, is being preached, uh, that you're turning the other cheek. You're having mercy on people. You're forgiving them. You're going the extra mile. All of these things are coming to place. If somebody is doing Christianity right, there will never be a problem or issue. It's always the abuses. Somebody say abuse. You know what that word means? It means to be used wrongly in a way in which it was not intended. Abuse. Abuse. It it means just to use something in the wrong way. The only time that you'll find Christianity is, is damaging people or is hurting people is when somebody has gotten in, in, you know, in a position or somebody is, is taking a verse out of context and using it to control other people or whatever it is that's going on. Anytime that Christianity is hurting people, now sometimes it'll hurt our feelings, but honestly, you know, you know what I always say, church, good medicine tastes bad. Amen. Good medicine usually tastes bad. The, the good stuff, the strong stuff, the stuff that actually can, has the power to save a life, that stuff does not taste like Flintstone vitamins. Anybody remember those? Amen. We got reconnected right there. The Flintstone vitamins, man. Ate those. Let me tell you a story about my wife, just to break up you know, this, this pretty heavy-duty sermon. Um, so she sleepwalks, but also she sleep eats. Not so much anymore, because I catch her. Uh, but uh, whenever she was young, she would wake up in the middle of the night, and she found out how, because she was like house-sitting for an elderly lady, kind of staying with her. And she, uh, she noticed that on top of the fridge, there's a big, one of the big tubs of the vitamin gummies. And so day by day, night by night, it was going down further and further and further. And so finally she's like, ma'am, you, you, miss, you, you sure are eating a lot of those. And she said, honey, I can't even reach them if I wanted to. And then Polly was like, oh, no. And she realized that she had been eating all of the gummies in her sleep and then going back. Good medicine. now, And those taste delicious. But I tell you, Flintstone vitamins don't, don't, are not going to cure anything serious. Amen. You get, you, you get something nasty, though, <laughs> something that, ugh, that's the good stuff. That's, that's the antibiotic that may end up saving your life. That is what's going on. So you need to understand this about the Word of God. He didn't, he, the Word of God is true whether we like it or not, whether it feels good or not. It's still good. It's still good. It's still, it, the use of it is still to save your soul from hell. It is to give the revelation of the truth and the grace of God and the holiness of God to a people who are broken, who don't understand, uh, who have messed up mindsets and don't really get it, don't really understand how to get to heaven. But thank God for the word that was been given to us, the preaching that we're able to hear that says this is the way. Narrow is the way. That's good stuff. That's not easy stuff, but that's good stuff. Really good medicine usually tastes bad going down. Some people have been hurt by the church and they put up walls. But don't ever confuse the church with God. Now the church should be acting as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. But people are people. And I believe in progressive sanctification as we are all walking through. No one needs to be uh, you know, living in sin that grace may abound for sure. But people, you, you, you cannot put your faith in people no matter who they are. You put your faith in the word of God. In the person of Jesus Christ. In the God the Father as revealed by his holy word. Some people, and this is also true, let me give you this. Um, some people have been hurt in service to the kingdom. That's a very, whenever you're doing things for the right reason, you're doing things in the kingdom, um, you know, trying to serve, that is a vulnerable place. I don't know, and I haven't totally worked out all my theology on why it's so vulnerable, but it really is. It really is. You know, whenever you're doing something, whenever you're doing something that's self-serving and then it doesn't work out, that kind of, you know, you kind of shrug it off. But whenever you're genuinely, uh, let, let, me, let me put it to you like this. You ever been caught in a lie? 
you ever been caught in a lie, like when you were little maybe or something like that, and then you're just like, ah, you know, they got me, you know, like, I, I, I'm sure, you know, mo- most kids at some point, you know, did you eat that, you know, did you take that cookie, maybe it you know, traveled with you in adulthood, maybe you need to rebuke that in the name of Jesus and get over, you know, that, that lying spirit you got, I don't know, but I know that, you know, I have seen, I have caught people in a lie, and, uh, and it's really uncomfortable, but you know what hurts worse than getting caught in a lie is whenever people don't believe you and you're telling the truth, right, ah, like, I really did see it, or I really didn't even do it, you ever... Papa Jean, God bless him. He would reach back in the back when everybody was being noisy and wouldn't stop talking. He, and it didn't matter which leg he horse bit. You know, the, and then just get, 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 it, get right there. You know, get, get a good pinch, and then they would all quiet down. But it didn't matter who, who if anyone was quiet or not. Uh, he would reach back there and then just, you know, get a hold of a leg and then pinch somebody. Uh, amen. That's, uh, you ever, have you ever been in a place where you've been doing the right thing and you've been hurt for it? That is just so much more painful, so much more sensitive when you try to tell the truth, when you try to stand up and do the right thing. Then you're the one who ends up you know, holding the bag. You're the one who, who catches you know, all, the, all the, uh, you know, the backlash over it. That's tough. Sometimes whenever we're in the service of the Lord and we get hurt, that is one of the most sensitive things that can happen. And, and it can really do damage to people. That's why we need to lift each other up and encourage one another in the Lord because the, people get hurt. Sweetheart, what do we always say? Broken people have sharp edges. So whenever you're in the business of trying to minister to people, trying to love people, trying to, to help them help them to heal, you have to understand that they, are, they, they have sharp edges. They tend to cut the people that are trying to do the right. So you need to understand that. That's a good reason to put up walls. It's easy to see why Nehemiah would be so passionate about building walls. But you must understand this. He was a wall builder, but he was a gate builder too. This is where I really need to preach to you. My friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, got to preach this. You, you got to have gates in your walls. Or you have not, not only are you no good uh, to the kingdom, but you won't make it. You'll starve. You'll die. You'll get bitter and isolated and alone, and you will find yourself just a, 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 a spiritually starved out husk of a person because you let the bitterness encircle you, and you would not let the goodness of God and the love of God flow in your life. Because you were too afraid of getting hurt. Building gates, like I said, bad stuff comes through gates sometimes. But we have to be discerning. We have to, uh, we have to live with risk. And we have to be wise and understanding. The first gate there, and uh, we read Nehemiah 3. I'm not going to read it again, but uh, there were three. There's actually 12. So consider yourself lucky. We're going to do three. three the three um, preeminent ones that I feel like are, uh, are most important for us today and for the study. Gate. Preaching of this message. Number one was the sheep gate. Somebody say sheep gate. Sheep gate. This is the first and most important gate, the sheep gate. And uh, they all have you know, different names, but uh, what, what you need to understand here, this gate had a specific purpose. It has, uh, you know, there was a reason why it was called the sheep gate. There was a reason why it was created first because you know what would come through that? Not just sheep, but the sacrifices. The very sacrifices that were going to go into to the city before God in the temple and that were going to be sacrificed as propitiation for their sins that would push their sins back. That, that's a big deal. You're like, oh, okay, sheep are fine. But no, this is, this is how you connect with God. This is by which, the, and, and what you need to know is the first gate that you have got to leave open in your life. There is no option. You have got to install this gate while you're building those walls. That's fine. You have got to have a gate whereby Jesus comes into your life or else you will die spiritually lost and you will not make heaven you'll spend an eternity without God you have got to have a gate by which Jesus Christ has come into your heart and life 
That is the most, the, the very Lamb of God has got, you, you've got to have that one. Everything else that I'm going to preach from now, you might as well just fast forward to the very end or walk out now. Because if you don't have this gate, if you have not got a relationship with Jesus Christ, if he has not come through the gate that you have allowed to be opened up in your own heart and life, if you don't have a relationship with God, there is no other relationship that is going to follow that is going to be pleasing and long-lasting and healthy. Jesus first. If you don't get that gate right, you're not going to get any of the others right. You've got to pass that test. You have got to open up. And no matter what you've been hurt by or who you've been hurt by or what you've heard about God, you have got to have your own relationship with Jesus Christ. You have got to repent of your sins. You've got to change your life. And you've got to see yourself as he truly sees you and turn from our wicked ways and begin to serve him with all of our life. I could get on that for a, for a hot second. There are a lot of people who get up from an altar after saying a prayer. They no more saved than the devil. You must repent. You must change. You must allow the blood of Jesus to change your life. And whenever you do that, there will be fruit. There, 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 there will be stuff that comes following that. You will start the lines in your life, the demarcations between you and the world are going to start to appear. And it's not just going. And of course, it's not just going to be the ones that we can see with our eye. We get caught up on those, but it's going to be the ones that He sees. Your mind, your heart, the, the things that, that, that you put in front of your face, those things are going to change as the lines are drawn between the world and the believer. Amen. The Lamb of God must be given entrance into your life and heart. Without this gate, the others don't matter. This is, okay. Does anyone like those little, uh, those little neat things in Scripture that just like a, a little, uh, golden, like little golden nuggets? This is a really good one. I love those. It just, it is, they always impress me about how alive the Word of God is and how powerful, how prophetic the Word is. This is one of my favorites. Of all 12 gates, there's only one that, see, let's read it, and I'll see if you pick up on it. You guys got nowhere to be, right? Amen? Nowhere better to be. Amen. So, let's see. Okay, so... Um, the high priest rose up with his brethren and priests and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. Somebody say doors. They built it as far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated it as far as the Tower of Hananel. Next, the, next to Elisha, the men built, and next to them, um, Zachar, the son of Emery, built. Okay, so they just built it and hung its doors. Now we go down to the next one, and all the rest follow this one. Um, as for the sons of Hasina, they built the, the fish gate, and they laid its beams and hung its doors with bolts and bars. And then the next one happens, and it's the, uh, it's the old gate, and then bolts and bars, and then this gate, you know, bolts and bars, and the valley gate happens, and bolts and bars, and bolts and bars, and bolts and bars. There's only one gate that doesn't have bolts and bars, and it's the first one. It's not mentioned in Scripture that it has bolts and bars. And the reason why that it is worded in that way is that the gate that you build with Jesus, that gate, needs to always be open. Always be open. He needs to always have access to your heart, to your life. There, there, there is no parts of Jesus or version of Jesus or version of the Word of God and the truth of, of who He is. The, the, the Lamb needs to have free access to be in our heart and to, to, to be there uh, without any kind of fettering, any kind of control by humankind or by your own precepts or your own ideology. The, the Jesus needs to have complete and total control of your heart and your life and your decisions. If, if he does not have unfettered access uh, you know, to be in your heart and in your life, then, it, then, then you might as well just forget it. Now, the other ones I'm going to preach 
Why? Some of the other ones do. Jesus, though, must be given complete, total, and unlimited access to your heart and life. Don't build walls that keep Jesus out. Build walls, but never wall Jesus out. Secondly, the fish gate. Now, this one does have bolts and bars. See, Jesus called the disciples in Matthew 4.19 to be fishers of men. So immediately we begin to understand that there's a purpose to why this is called the fish gate. Um, it speaks of fellowship. It, start, it speaks of other people. It starts to, you know, you, you get an idea. The first one, you know, that, that's the sheep gate. That's by which Jesus comes inside of Jesus. This one does have the, uh, the, 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 the relationships that we have outside of Jesus. This one does have bolts and bars, and um, it is a gate, and it's meant to be used with wisdom and discretion and understanding. Nay, I say discernment. you got to know what's coming in and what's going out. Amen? Whenever, whenever, whenever I'm talking about other people, you got to make sure. I'll, I'll just tell you right now. Um, I, I am careful about what I, you know, the, the relationships that I form and the people who have a voice in my life. Now, that doesn't mean that people are cut out and that you just cut, you know, negative people totally out of your life. But um, the thing is, gates are two-way, right? So, you know, you got stuff coming in and you got stuff going out. i got to make sure that uh, what's going out is the good, you know, whenever somebody is negative and someone is, is you know, maybe teaching something or, or speaking something in my life that is wrong, you know, having a bad influence on me and my family, i got to make sure that the stuff is going out to them, not coming in to me, right? So, and this does have bolts and bars, and there are times when you need to use them. I don't know who that was for today, but somebody needs to bar the gate on some of the relationships or some of the things that, that, that the enemy is using to have access to your life and the things that you're doing, the things that you're looking at, maybe the things that you feel, the things that you're allowing yourself to feel. Did you know that you can have so you can, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can exert some control over the things that you allow yourself to dwell on? Yes, you, you can't control every thought that comes into your head. It's like a bird. They can fly over your head, yes, but you don't have to let it build a nest in your hair. Amen? So there, there's some level of control that we're supposed to exert as, as people of God and say, you know, I'm not going to dwell on negativity. Yes, the enemy is fighting me in my mind and my heart. Yes, that, that, that spirit of depression, but I'm not going to help do the enemy's job by just sitting there. I'm going to do what I can to get into my word. I'm going to turn on a little bit of worship music. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to start to exert the control that God will help me to exert over the things in my life. I'm not going to just let him come in and just come in and come in until I'm destroyed on the inside. I'm going to bolt these things shut and dwell on the goodness of God. It's a battle. I know it's a battle, but we need to encourage each other and challenge each other. Don't dwell on the things of the enemy. Exert the control that God gave you over the gate. Amen. Check on those relationships and see if they're bringing life or death into your city. See, some people will be like, uh, well, you know, we, we, well, Pastor Joe, we, we can't just totally separate ourselves from the world. We're supposed to be salt and light. Yes, I know this. I believe this, and I'm all for that. However, it's one thing if you're witnessing to people about Jesus. It's another thing if they're witnessing to you about sin. Oh, come on, somebody. There is a marked difference. You know, sit there and be witness to for a half hour about sin and corruption and negativity. Mm-mm. Now, you, you'll know that you're doing the right thing, you're doing God's work whenever you're starting to control the narrative by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're starting to say, you know, what was it I used to say? You know, it didn't bother me what, the, what you told me that person said about me. It did bother me why they felt comfortable enough to say it to you. Woo! Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. That's how we need to feel about God. You know, uh, I, it, it doesn't bother me that you're a sinner because sinner's going to sin. 
It does bother me that you feel like you can come into my life, come into my space, and, and then set an atmosphere of sin and lust and carnality. Who do you think I am? Like, it bothers me that, that you felt comfortable enough to start speaking these things and, and to use this language and to, and to talk about perversion right next to me and, and to me like I was going to get in with you. I didn't take a big step back and say, wait, wait a minute, I, I'm sorry, I guess I haven't really clearly spoken who I am. Like, I, I don't do that. Like, I live according to this thing where, where we start to hear this and I start to pitch in and we start to bring this person down. I, I'm, not, I'm not good ground for your gossip. You start to control the narrative. Start to exert the control over the gate, because it's your gate. And let me tell you this right here. Let me go one step further. God's going to judge you over that, over the control that you exert, over the gate that he gave you. You can't be saying, well, they just walked right into my life. You know, the next thing you know, I was, just, I was, I was drunk and partying. And then I made all this, and then I was driving drunk. And I don't know. And then I... No, no. You had a gate. And you didn't exert control over your gate. You allowed things to come into your life. You allowed things to start to become normalized in your own life that were, become, that were sinful. And next thing you know, yeah, you didn't mean to go that far. Guess what? No sinner in, in history has ever meant to go as far as they went. Exert control over the gate. The Holy Spirit has given you the ability, the power, and the authority to stand for God. Even in a sinful world, even in a sinful age, you still have the power to stand up and be righteous by His righteousness. Not you, not just us, not just the power that we have, but the imputation of God's righteousness in us allows us to live a separated and holy life. You don't have the power, but He does. But you have your hand on that lever in the gate. Amen. Amen. Lastly, my head nods are normally not, uh, you know, they're, they're not noticeable enough, so now I have to do it with my whole body. <laughs> Lastly, the old gate. Somebody say the old gate. The old gate. That's what I called it, right? Now, and I got lost when I was studying, you know, because like I get like some of the rabbit trails, they get off on are really good and some of them are so stupid <laughs> and like they lead nowhere. <laughs> but I was like, why do they call it the old gate? Didn't they just build it? How is it going to be the old gate? It's newer than the sheep gate or the fish gate. It's the third one built. The old gate. The old gate. Well, this rabbit trail leads right to here. The fact that um, this, this is something that has preexisted. This is something that has been rebuilt, something that has been there beforehand. And let me tell you what this represents. This represents the word of God. You've got to build the old gate. And, and, and they, they begin to understand. The reason why they named it the old gate is because this thing, this, this thing pre the wood beams and everything in the bolt. You know, this gate, you know, we may be rebuilding. We're putting new, you know, the, the, the wood beams and everything and the bolts and bars. The bolts and bars on this one, we'll get to them. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is this is old. This is, this is, even though it was torn down, even though it was demolished, it still existed. It just needed to be rebuilt. It needed to be reconstructed in our lives. And the, the old gate speaks of the word of God. Church, we have got to be a people of the word of God. And let me challenge us as a body of believers right now. If you're, if you're part, of, you know, part of the church, part of the, you know, the local body and community, if you're not, then you, it, this, this goes for you too. But uh, for, for New Life Church, we must man the gate of the Word of God. Now, what does that look like in our church? I love new stuff, if it's good stuff. I love 
using technology and using uh, you know the, the different you know, di- different aspects you know uh, that that can be used you know to, to further the kingdom the cause of the kingdom but everything that we do every change that we make must and will by the grace of God come through the old gate because the old gate is the place by which we 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 can turn things back that don't line up or let things through that do. And as we begin to look at things, and, and you know, that, that's fine. Like, you know, we, the church is going to change in the way that it looks and the way that, uh, that, that you know, different parts are manifested. You know, we got LED lights, light-emitting diodes to save money. That's great. Instead of, you know, the old ones that are going to use, you know, we, we have some chairs in here instead of pews. That's great because, you know, the last time somebody had, you know, somebody threw up on one, I was able to take it right out and you didn't have to smell it. So there are benefits, you know, to having chairs instead of pews or whatever it else is, you know. You know, precious, precious basket came in here, you know, some bed bugs, that whole section, oh, God. And they got treated. Somebody say amen for that. Now, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. We can make changes, but here's the, here's the important word right here. Every change that comes through and into our church by the grace of God will come through the old gate, which is the word of God whereby we will stand and say, that's not in line with the word. So it may be popular. It may be cool. It may be, uh, it may be culturally uh, enlightened, but we refuse entrance because it doesn't pass inspection at the old gate. Amen? Can, 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 we, can I get an amen? Is that what we're trying to do or not? Amen? I'm trying to live by the word of God. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, to have ministry that is in line with the old gate. Remove not the ancient landmark. You, we need to know where the lines are. And let me tell you, brother and sister, the lines are still where they used to be. Culture changes, but the truth and morality and the power of the word of God, the authority of the word of God changes not. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And although some of these things can change and then they can be upgraded, they can look a little different. Whenever it comes to, does that pass muster at the gate, the old gate of the word of God where do we stand on it we will shut the door if it's something counter to the word of God and we're going to open up anything that can be a blessing amen but there has got to be a discernment hallelujah and there will be there will be a discernment between what is fitting and what meets the muster of the word of God and what does not I don't care what it looks like it's how you get Trojan horses in there Amen. Oh, you want me to go back into history again? I know you do. I won't. Amen. But I could preach that for a hot second. I sure could. <laughs> because something that comes in, it seems innocuous. It seems like it's not going to be a problem. Next thing you know, it has manifested the very destruction of your life and your family. Mm-hmm. See, the it has to pass muster, Johnny. It has to. Um, and whenever somebody speaks a word into your life, you know, whether they call themselves a prophet, whether they call a pre- preacher, a teacher, it, it needs to match. Somebody gave me a word from the Lord the other day, and I said, no. no. And it was a nice person, and they meant well. But they need to get in their Bible because it didn't line up. It didn't match up with the truth of what God's word. And they began to speak into the situation, say, this is this, this, and this, and this, and this is why that looks like it. And I was like, no, I don't know. That's... Steve, sin. <laughs> That's Steve's move. Sin. That's heresy. I have too much fun with you guys, but man, I love the Word of God, don't you? I love living for Him. I sure do. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about what God wants to do in this last day and age. 
we got to make sure that the gate is man. Only that which is the word okayed and clear by the word of God comes into our city. Amen. It doesn't have to come through old mindsets or old styles. It don't have to pass muster with old people or young people or middle-aged people. But it does have to come through the old gate. Amen. Let's stand. church has received this word as far as what our vision is and what we stand for. So I want to challenge you here before we come find a place to pray individually you in the altars at your seat wherever you need to pray but uh, we open up the altar so you can feel free uh, to seek God and have that moment that you need with him. But I want to challenge you. Do you have walls up? Some of you don't and you should. Some of you should have gates and you don't. You've been hurt before, you've been burned before, and and you know that it's a one-way street and that isolation is eventually going to result in your death if you don't allow people into your life, if you don't allow God to move in your life. Some of you need to understand that you have to have gates. Yes, you can man them, you can be as discerning as you want to be, but don't die encircled by a wall without gates. Don't live like that. Learn to trust. Learn to love. Learn to actually even present yourself as a sacrifice. That's what the Word of God teaches. As a living sacrifice. You know what happens to sacrifices? You get sacrificed. You guys are on it. You had your Wheaties. Sacrifices die. They get hurt. And if He has called us from our sin, to live a life of sacrifice, to live a life of risk, a life that that is going to put us in harm's way and that we're going to be hurt. We have to understand that's part of the deal. Because did he not live that same life and became sacrificed for us all? That's why you have a sheep gate, because he was willing to pay the price. So now mustn't we, as the children of God, learn to forge those relationships, to, 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 uh, to, uh, to submit ourselves to the process of loving others and ministering, even at great risk to our own self. Some of y'all need to break down your wall enough to get a gate in there so you can make the difference that you were called to make in this life. Amen. Let's bow our